Welcome to Zimmerman Podcast, Episode 14. What do women's cycles, floral workshops, and Frozen 2 have in common? They're all topics of questions I'm answering on today's episode of Zimmerman Podcast, Questions with Rachel. We're talking about the logistics and finances behind workshops, what happens when you have an unhappy bride who leaves a bad review, and ways to get stuff done on days you don't feel motivated. Thanks to Jen and Paige for their thoughtful questions. If you have a question you want featured on Questions with Rachel, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash ask. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Zimmerman Podcast with your host, CEO, wedding professional, educator, and mom, Jessica Zimmerman. In just two years, Jessica went from facing bankruptcy to taking home a six-figure salary. She turned a business-saving $100,000 loan into a million-dollar empire. As a creative entrepreneur, a healthy work-life balance seems just as unattainable as a six-figure income. But Jessica Zimmerman is here to show you it's possible. With the right tools and insider tips and some hard work, your craziest dreams can become your daily routine. If you set some boundaries and commit to healthy changes, you can create a business and a life you love. So let's make your business work for you. Hey, Rachel, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Okay, let's do it. Another session of questions with Rachel. Yes. So just to give everyone kind of an inside peek, this is the first questions with Rachel that we're recording after the podcast has launched which means that this is the first time we get to include new questions that people have sent to um, zimmermanpodcast.com slash ask after the podcast launched because they know where to send those questions now. So we have questions from people who've been listening to the podcast and want their questions answered live on the podcast. Okay, good. Yeah. So we have a bunch of different questions today and then some fun ones. So we're going to have some fun. I have no idea what these questions are. (laughs) Jess has not seen these questions. It's always a little nerve-wracking. I'm like, oh dear, what what are they going to ask? But I'm an open book. I'll answer it all. Yeah. And I do have, I don't have a great filter, but I do have somewhat of a filter. So when we're on the podcast, I tend to ask slightly less intrusive questions than I do in real life. So (laughs) (laughs) here is a question from Jen. Jen would like to know, this is what she said. I would love more info on doing workshops. I've been thinking of offering them seasonally, but are they really worth doing? By the time you provide everything needed, tools, fresh product, a container, and figure in your time spent organizing the workshops, do you make any profit? Also, how do you approach someone in collaborating? For example, I don't have space to host 10 guests in my studio, but would be interested in setting up at a local barn that does receptions. Do they get a kickback from each sale? How much? Tips and tricks are much appreciated from Jen. Good question, Jen. Okay, so in 2015, I did a series of workshops. I called it Zimmerman Inspiration Series. And the goal of that was to have another revenue stream. Now you will notice that I no longer do that (laughs) because (laughs) you have to, okay, here's the thing with workshops. First of all, you have to go by the rule that I always go by when it comes to business. You need to have a 60% profit, a 40% cost. So if you are selling tickets for $100 each, then 
60 of that should be able to go in the bank. 40 of that is what you're going to spend to make the workshop happen. Now, here's the here's the situation or what was my situation with workshops. I did a calligraphy workshop. I did like a like a painting one, like an art one. We did a flower one. We did a photography one. I simply just reached out and asked people if they wanted to do it. Some of them were happy to do the collaboration, but you have to pay them something. Like they're not going to come do it for free. And so you come up with a, you know, okay, I'll pay them a thousand dollars to come teach for, you know, five hours or, or you'll pay them 500 bucks to teach for, you know, two hours or whatever it's going to be. Um, because they're going to see that you're charging whatever it is that you're charging a hundred dollars, $200, whatever it is for, for the workshop. And they obviously are going to need to get a part of that. The thing that I didn't realize is for example, with the paint and art one, I'm not a painter or an artist. My following are, they are not painters or artists in, in, in that realm. And so you have to make sure that the person who is teaching that workshop is going to really promote it because I could promote it all day, every day, but my audience is like, I don't care anything about painting. Like, why do you keep promoting this? And so if I was promoting a floral design workshop, then yes, all day they would, they would be about it. But But if you're going to collaborate with someone in a sense of doing something that is not in your field, then you need to make sure that that person is really the one responsible for the majority of the advertising for it because they're going to have the audience for it. Um, You need to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row as far as when they purchase it, that it will say on there, you know, you have to have this many seats filled in order for the workshop to happen because there has to be a certain amount filled just to break even. You are going to have to think about food and drink. Um, If you want to have your workshop photographed, you know, who's going to take those pictures? Do you have to pay them? Will they do it out of the kindness of their heart? There has to be contracts for all of that. Um, Somebody physically has to be there, obviously from your team or you, Um, For me, it was a whole lot of work for not near enough profit. It's just, I don't know. I just think, you know, it it depends on how you're set up. You said you didn't have a studio that would fit more than 10 people. So if you, if you did this and there were, um, and you decided to just always have 10 people maximum and you did an initial investment of the snips and the, you know, chicken wire and the vessels and you were able to get in bulk, you know, some inexpensive vessels. Cause that's the thing. Once you buy all the materials that you need for a floral design workshop, I mean, it's, you're eating up that 40% really fast. And then on top of that, if you're doing anything additional, like I said, food or, or drinks or having it photographed so that you have good content, it's just, I guess, what is your motive behind it? And if your motive is to get content for yourself, because that was another thing for me, to be honest, I thought, well, even if it's a calligrapher or a photographer, I'll still do um, some beautiful floral work for the students' tables. And you can go back to Zimmerman Events website and you can look up inspiration series and you can see these workshops that we did. They were beautiful. And I enjoyed doing the floral work for them. And it did allow us to have 
beautiful photos of our work and it allowed me more content, but it did not profit 60% whatsoever. And because after you pay everybody and after you pay all your expenses and you pay for the food and, and you, it's just, it eats it up. And so for me, I spent about as much work on, because as you know, with an event, whether you have 10 people or a hundred people, it's kind of the same amount of work, you yeah. know, what I mean? it's yep. kind of the same amount of work. So it's just, do you want to do those? Now, if it's something where you can do one a month and you just have the supplies there and it's a, you know, more of a takeaway container that they can take with them. And you obviously all the snips stay there and, and those kinds of supplies, then it may be worth it. Um, it depends. You, if you live in a bigger city, you may have more people that want to do that. For me, there just wasn't a lot of interest in those. And it, it took a lot of time to fill the seats because mm-hmm. I was having to really promote it. And so I stopped doing it after that year. I was, I was grateful. And you know, what's funny is I don't think I've ever really talked about this, but in 2014 is when I rebranded from a Southern tradition to Zimmerman events. And that first website that I did, it had, I did one little small photo shoot and that was the only work that I had of the, of of only photographs I had of the work that I wanted to be doing. And so those next six months in 2015, when I did Zimmerman inspiration series was really a way to continue to show uh, new work. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't booked people yet who wanted that type of style. And so strategically, that was a smart move. But did I make money? No, not really. So you just have to ask yourself and really get clear on what your motivation is behind that. Because if the motivation is to make money, then you really need to sit down with the numbers and and see if you can do it at 40% cost. And if you can't, then there's your answer. That's what we do when we flip a house. We have a formula and it either works or it doesn't. You put mm-hmm. in the, the the price of the sale and what you're, the bids, what you're going to have to do. And it calculates it. And it's like, this either works or it doesn't. And you have to really kind of make it black and white like that. Yeah. So it's not emotional. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like, for example, if this is like a flower crown workshop and you're looking at the numbers and you're seeing, I would have to charge $80 per person for this flower crown workshop. And no one's going to pay $80 for that because they don't realize that that's really what it costs to do a flower crown. Then maybe it's a no go. Um, But if you're doing something like a wreath workshop and you can forage a lot of like dried goods to lower your costs, or you're going to do it in an area or with a demographic who could be future brides one day. Um, and then you have kind of a marketing angle and a strategy there. Like there are circumstances in which it could be beneficial to you, but you really have to look at the cold, hard facts before just agreeing to something, um, like that. Absolutely. And you want to test it out with a couple of people, meaning ask them, Hey, if you saw this, advertised on Facebook or Instagram or however it is that you choose to market yourself, would this be something that would interest you? Because I think it's interesting. I think I thought, oh, there's going to be so many people my age who wants to like learn calligraphy. Mm -hmm. And really it was a lot of people, more people in my mom's generation 
who wanted to learn calligraphy. And so you want to kind of find those things out too. Well, I'm, I was happy to fill the seats. Come, come one, come all. Like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're hoping that this is going to be potential brides, that might not be the case is what I'm trying to say. But you can go, if you go to Instagram and you look under the hashtag Zimmerman Inspiration Series, there's over a hundred posts on there that show pictures from, from the workshops that we put on. So that can help give you an idea of what it did content wise. But like I said, I stopped doing them after one year because it just wasn't profitable enough. And for me, time is everything. And so it was just, I was spending as much time on them as I was a wedding and wasn't near making what I could with a wedding. So I thought, well, that was fun. And I got good content out of it and good images, but now that chapter's done. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And I think it's so interesting. I'm sure you've seen this too, Jess, like people in the industry make money in so many different ways. Like some people are just wedding floral designers and some people only do like workshops or styled shoots or, or whatever, or editorials, things like that. Um, so there are definitely non-wedding ways to make money in the industry. Um, but I think that's why BBB is such a great resource because it kind of talks about whatever it is that you're doing, this is how you can make money doing it Mm -hmm. because that really is the important part. (laughs) This is a business, not a hobby. Right. If If I did it all over again, like if somebody said, hey, next year you have to do workshops, what would you do? I would stick to floral because that's what my audience is. And I would pick probably three different things, like maybe wreath making, floral crowns, and probably something like how to make an arrangement with grocery store flowers or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I would do, let's say one a month and like January, February, March would be the grocery store flowers and April, May, and June would be the floral crown. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know what I'd do the next three. Maybe I'd have to figure out a fourth class, but, and then I'd do the, the, wreaths around the holidays, October, November, right. November. And that way people can sign up because you get that a lot too. Oh, I wish I could make it, but I'm out of town that day. Well, sorry. I mean, this is my only time to, to do it. Well, this way you kind of get it down. Like you have one, you know what you're doing, and then you do another. You've, you're basically just on repeat for mm-hmm. that. And then you've do, so maybe I would do those three and I would do them for four months. Um, yeah. And, and I think then you've got, you can buy the supplies in bulk, obviously other than the, the flowers, but everything else you can buy in bulk. And you know, you're not going to have repeat people for at least those, like you're, the same person isn't going to come do floral crowns four times. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You can kind of do the exact same thing, rent, you know, rinse and repeat for those four times. But the other good thing is maybe they have so much fun at the floral crown making one that they want to do the wreath one too. And they want to do the grocery store floral arrangement one as well. And I think that you also might want to do a little survey on Facebook or something and ask your area, you know, like if I were to put these floral workshops on, what would you want to learn so that you could see like what your audience actually, like the people who actually have money who would pay for this, mm-hmm. what they're interested in learning? Because shockingly, it might be something that you would never think of. So instead of going, here's my great idea and here's what I'm going to do, it's always better to ask and be like, would you, what kind of floral would you want to learn 
because they might say they really want to learn how to do boutonnieres. Mm -hmm. You're like, really? There's like 30 people out there who would sign up for a boutonniere class. Like I had no idea. And then you're, you're ready to go. Um, versus being like, I'm going to teach this wonderful arrangement class. Cause some people might be like, I'm never going to have time to make a big arrangement or that's intimidating or that, you know, those kinds of things. So it's always better to ask. And what are your thoughts on, let's say this is a person who does do weddings, lining up the dates of workshops to align with, um, coming after a weekend when they might have a wedding, like the Monday or the a Sunday after they have a wedding so that they can kind of slightly overbuy product for the wedding and then be able to use those extras for the workshop. I think it makes sense. Like you could yeah, save money totally on makes, shipping and yeah, things like that. It totally makes sense. And I think that's a great way to save money financially, but for me, I know I wouldn't be my best self the Sunday right. or Monday after a wedding. Yeah. And so that would be hard for me. And I think too, then you don't, I, I just think that for me, I would have to do it on a weekend that I didn't have a wedding and really see like what my profit can be from that particular service. Yes, definitely. But that's just me. Um, well, I'm, some, some of you may have the energy to do a workshop the day after a wedding. I do not. <laughs> I'm kind or of maybe good. if it's like a smaller a la carte wedding or yeah. something like that, but. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think too, if you live in an area where there is good foraging, even that's good just to take them, you know, down the block or something and show them. Right. This is what I do. And this is how I get these great shapes and all these greens and, you know, everything. I think that that's a great way to, A, uh, take up some time <laughs> and yes, <laughs> you save money because you're foraging versus, um, having to buy all those greens. Um, yeah, I think that that's a, I think that's a good idea. Now, one last part of Jen's question that I think is just kind of a broader question, um, is when you have an idea in business and you have to rely on someone else to provide kind of like you were saying, like with the calligraphers you collaborated with, or if you're doing a workshop and you want to do it at a restaurant or you want someone to provide um, appetizers or snacks or or someone to photograph, how do you professionally approach someone about a collaboration, whether it's a workshop or a styled shoot or just someone you'd like to work with, how do you do that well um, and kind of mix the personal connection, but also helping them understand that this is like a benefit to them from a marketing standpoint? If I have the option to speak to them in person, I speak to them in person always. So if it it has to do obviously with a venue or food, that is going to be locally. I'm not going to get food from another town. I'm not going to go to another town for the venue. It's going to be, you know, in the town that the work that uh, where I live. So I'm going to go speak to them personally because people will, will are more likely to say yes to you in person than they, mm-hmm. than they are, um, on the phone and definitely over email and definitely over some direct message on a social media platform. So in person is always the best route to take. Now, if that person doesn't live here, then it is a phone call. It might be a, an email or a message to get the phone number, but then it's a phone call. And 
I think you just ask them and just say, this is my idea and you are who I thought of and we would just love it. And, you know, I also usually will say something too, like, obviously if you could donate it, that would be amazing. But I also understand because I too get asked for donations all the time and can't always do them. You know, if we could maybe just have a break or a discount, you know, I don't expect somebody to donate who's working with me for the first time to donate, you know, $600 worth of food for free. I don't, I don't expect that. And I think that you have to have realistic expectations and go in again. This is why it's important to, to do the numbers up front and to say, this is my budget of what I have to spend. So if you're wanting to go to another venue and you know, that venue usually costs a thousand dollars for the day, and you're like, I only can spend 700 in order to make this work. Well, you might go there and, and say, listen, I don't want to ask you for the venue for free because I know you get approached with that all the time. Or right mm-hmm. then they're going to be like, oh, I like you because you, you haven't, you have a firm grasp on reality. Um, and thank you for, for, you know, noticing that I do get asked that all the time. Um, right. But I really love your venue. I want to use it. I think it's going to be great. And don't talk too much. Like, get to the point. You, you know how when you're being asked something, some people are like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, like quit circling the plane and land it. Mm-hmm. So get to the point rather quickly. I have a workshop. We'd love to use this venue. I don't expect for you to give it to me for free because this is our first time working together. But is there any way that you could do any kind of break on it? And if they they may say, yeah, I'll I'll do it for half price. I'll do it for 500 bucks. Well, great. Then you just got a deal because your budget was 700. But if they say, I can do it for 800, then you need to say my, the max I can spend is seven. Can you do it for seven? You know what I mean? You need to go in knowing, and that just makes it really clear and, and, and just be honest, always be honest. People like to work with honest people and, so, I, I mean, that's the way I, I approach it. And then you build that relationship and, you know, you, it, it might be that you also do it on maybe a night or an evening that you know that venue isn't busy. So maybe it's a Tuesday evening. And so in business, some money is better than no money. Mm-hmm. So if they're not making anything normally on a Tuesday and you offer them 500 bucks, they're going to be like, okay, you know, so right. you just need to kind of do your due diligence with that. Also, this used to work, but I don't really know if it does anymore. Um, I, I would not approach it with this, but I, I did in 2015. I was like, of course you'll be tagged and, you know, but people don't really care about that anymore. <laughs> they want the dollar bills. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, hopefully I answer it. I think you did. Definitely. Um, so in person and go in with high hopes, but low expectations about pricing, you're probably going to have to, um, fork over some money. You can't just do stuff for exposure anymore. Um, and if you go in with that mentality, then people are going to feel respected and appreciated for their craft instead of feeling like you're kind of just trying to squeeze some, Yes. Some free stuff out of them. Just treat people the way you would want to be treated if somebody approached you. Like no one likes to be asked to do work and to give away things for absolutely for free. So so just go into it the way you would want somebody to 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 ask you that question. Don't expect these people to just do this stuff for free. Um, because that's not I don't think that's right. 
Absolutely. And the long-term benefits of creating a lasting relationship built on mutual appreciation are going to far outlast a, a workshop or a styled shoot if you are just kind of in it to get some free photographs or you know other things from other people. Because the impression that you'll give when you really value them um, will just make them want to recommend you and work with you again in the future. Absolutely. So Jen, we hope that answered your question. Um, and thank you so much for sending it in. It was so great to hear what you had questions about. Yes. Thanks, Jen. If you've been following along with this podcast and you're thinking, gosh, I would love to learn more about business and floral design, but I'm not ready to fully jump in 100%. I have got the tools for you. I've created a special bundle of my favorite starter resources. Here's what's included in this wedding floral business starter bundle. My exact client contract, my customizable welcome packet template, my customizable proposal templates, my floral and business resource list, my exact email templates, and my very own floral bouquet demonstration video. That's $537 worth of training for $247. To learn more, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash get started. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash get started. Next question is from Paige. Hi, Paige. This is what Paige has to say. That's my middle name. That is your middle name. Yeah. Or is it still your middle name or did it used to be your middle name? It is still legally my middle name, Jessica Page Zimmerman. Okay. Because Clay was your maiden name, name, correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Hey, y'all. There's something that I call the wedding vortex when brides get so sucked into the event that they obsess over little things that no one else sees. It even happened to me as a bride. However, sometimes with clients, this occurs through and after the event, and they want someone to blame about things that you as a vendor wouldn't even consider a mistake or even within your realm of responsibility. Uh, Paige says, we are a venue and also offer coordination. How do you handle something like this, especially if they leave a less than five-star review online, et cetera? So it sounds like maybe after an event, a bride was like, oh, I thought the tables would be set up this way and not this way or something like that. Um, And there's some after the event frustration that isn't even really an issue, but the bride thinks it is. Yeah, I totally get it. Here's the deal. This is honestly what I think it boils down to is I think that you have to know and be 100% sure that you have done your job the way that you sold it, like the way that you said you were going to do it. If you did it that way, then you don't have anything to feel guilty about. You don't have anything to fix that. You have no reason to refund money. You, I always say, I hold up my end of the bargain and I expect you to as well. When I speak to a client and the bargain is the contract. So this all boils down to the contract. Your contract has to be so clear on what it is you do and what it is you don't do. And anytime you get a client like that who complains about something, that might be a little nudge to make sure that that is now put in your contract. Because I always ask myself, 
anytime I have a, a situation, I think, okay, why did that happen? What am I supposed to learn from that? And how can I make sure that that never happens again? Now, the why that happened, it may have absolutely nothing to do with you. And you do have to realize that. First, you need to look and see if it did. You have to look and see if it did. Is this, you cannot just come at it from a, from a, from a defensive place, which is really easy to do when you own your own business. It is so easy. And I am guilty, guilty, guilty. And honestly, that is one of the main reasons why Kelly handles emails and a lot of the communication because I get really defensive um, because I know that we work our tails off and we work hard and our intentions are good. And so I can get defensive, right? So you have to take a breath and you have to look at this, listen to this person and see if any of their points are valid. And if they are, address the ones that are. And if they aren't, then you have to understand this. A wedding is a very expensive event, no matter what the budget was. And this is this is something you do have to realize because we as wedding vendors, we have clients that spend, for example, with me, I've had clients who have spent $1,000 on their floral and I've had clients that have spent $100,000 on their floral, mm-hmm. okay? And then it's real easy to when you work with a $100,000 floral client and then the next client you work with is a $5,000 wedding client, it's real easy to go, well, they have nothing to complain about. I mean, that was just $5,000. Like that wasn't a hundred grand. No, 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 no. That $5,000 is a hundred grand to that person. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Like that is, if they had their whole wedding budget, this was the percentage that they had for flowers. And even though the budget might be less or more than other clients, the, the percentage is still the same, right? The, the, right. The well, a hundred thousand for one bride might not be, you know, even a, they might not even blink at that, but while 5,000 for another bride might be as much as they possibly can afford. Absolutely. Might be a really big splurge and they may have worked super duper hard and borrowed money and done all these things to make that happen. And so what you have to understand is that you're working in an industry where a lot of money has just gone out the door and perhaps, perhaps maybe not everyone who was spending the money to make the wedding happen. Maybe they got a little carried away. Maybe they spent more than they should have. Perhaps someone who saw a bill that they didn't um, expect to see and meaning like a father of the bride or something going, I'm sorry, what? Like I didn't, no, 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 this isn't happening. And now that the wedding is over, they think I've got to recoup some of that money. And honestly, the easiest way to recoup that money is to complain about something and to threaten to leave a bad review. one of the things that I added to my contract is, and again, this is why you need your own attorney. This is why contracts and your own attorney are so, so, so vital. But I actually went, I had a doctor's appointment a couple years ago. And one of the things that I had to sign was a, was a contract saying online reviews in this day and age can make or break a business. And so by signing this, you are agreeing to not post anything anywhere online negative about this company. 
So if you had a bad experience, just don't post anything. You know what I mean? It's basically what it's saying. If you have a good experience, write a review. If you have a bad experience, don't. And here's the reason why I know some people don't like this because they think, well, you should be able to honestly write that review. But here's the deal. There are people, unfortunately, out there who are not going to look at the whole picture, who aren't going to be truthful and honest. And that you do have to protect yourself and look out for that. And so we do have that contract as well in there. And it holds up in the state of Arkansas. I don't know if it holds up where you are, but just something that says, I think it's a non uh, defamatory or something Mm -hmm. um, contract. And it's just simple to the point that just says, we will handle anything between us. It will be, it will be discussed client to client. It will not be publicly discussed. And Mm -hmm. that just helps eliminate that. Now, I know some people really focus on reviews and I don't, I really, I think in the wedding industry and maybe I'm wrong, but I think that a lot of people are going to go based off of your website. They're going to go based off of um, what family and friends tell them, personal referrals, those types of things. And so as long as you do your work and you have really great testimonies on your website, like don't get bogged down if somebody posts a review. A, a not so nice review on a generic, you know, wedding website. Like that's not really worth your time. You know what I mean? Just stay right and focus on you. Like I said, if you know, without a shadow of a doubt that you did nothing wrong and that you held up your end of the bargain, then you can go to bed with your, you know, with, with your conscience clear. Right. And you know, if I'm like looking at restaurants on Yelp and I see one negative review amongst 20 really positive reviews, it's usually pretty clear kind of what's going on right. or if there's something off about the review where you're thinking, I don't really know if that's, what, you know, what actually happened or it's, it's usually pretty transparent what's going on. I also um, think it's kind of a, and maybe this is just me, but I, I think it's a kind of, I'm trying to think of a nicer way to say chicken shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kind of a chicken shit move. Like it's, I don't know. I think that with something like that, I don't know. I guess if it's a, pencil sharpener that you bought on Amazon and it really doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That's one thing, but, but a business where you are one-on-one, but even then, even then I would reach out to the person who I bought that from via email or message or whatever. to Mm -hmm. see, Can we make it right between us first? And then, cause I just think that's the decent human being thing to do. And if we can't, well, then maybe we warn people about that through a review. But I do think there are people who post a bad review and then they come to you and say, I've written this horrible review. And unless you do this, I won't take it down. Mm -hmm. And that's, I just think that's a bully way to handle it, to be honest. Yeah. That's extortion. Yeah. Yeah. And but if you have your contract to answer her question, if you have the contract and you are able to go back to it, which we've had to do this before, we've had to take mm-hmm. the contract that they have signed and we have had to go in and highlight and scan it and email it to them and show them. We had a client one time who was upset that we didn't come back and blow out the candles or something. And it was, it's in the contract. We are not in charge of lighting candles or 
blowing out candles unless you pay us extra to do those things. And so we were able to like highlight that and send it over. And then they were like, you know, they just never responded back because they knew that, right. you know, and so that's what I mean. You got to cross every T, dot every I, make sure your contract stands up in court and do what you can to protect yourself. Um, now, from a preemptive point of view, do you go through your contracts like line item by line item with your clients to make sure that they're actually reading what they're agreeing to? So my contract, and you can find it in our resource hub at ZimmermanEvents.com, that contract, basically it's broken up into categories like setup and delivery and Mm -hmm. uh, communication and payments, you know, those things. So our contract's long, so I don't sit there and read the whole thing, but I say something about each point. Right. So I may not talk about we, if, you know, I'll say something like if now let's talk about payments, payments are due on these dates, which are clearly right here. And if you pay by cash or check, that's it. If you pay by credit card, it's 4% higher. You know, I might say something like that, but then I'm mm-hmm. not going to go into, you know, all the other minutia that has to do with payments. Um, so those are the things I kind of hit like a highlight that people need to hear that I've learned from experience. So like the candle thing, I'm going to talk about that. Or I all <laughs> there's also something in there and I give an example of what it means. I'll say, now what this means is that if it, if, if Aunt Miranda comes over to us during while we're trying to set up for the wedding and she asks us to make her a flower crown, we're going to say no to her because even if she says the bride asked me to do this because our relationship is with you and, and all of that stuff has to be figured out before the day of the wedding, we are prepared Mm -hmm. the day of the wedding for these things that are in the contract that are in our proposal that are in the quote that are this is the stuff that we're prepared to do anything additional we're not prepared for and so mm-hmm. we will we will point out something like that so that they know not to ask us for additional things on the day of the wedding mhm i love it page um, I hope that was helpful for you Jess do you have anything else you want to add about I would just avoiding say, that just to reiterate make, you know, make sure what you do is on your contract. What you don't do is on your contract. Go over it with your clients. Make sure you keep the original copy. I like to go over it when we get the initial deposit. I also like to go over it, uh, you know, a couple weeks before the event, because a lot of times they will book you and then the actual event doesn't happen for maybe a year later. They've forgotten. I mean, I forgot what happened last time. Mm-hmm. So they've forgotten. So you do, it is your job to kind of refresh their memory with those things. You're so in it that you, and you go over that stuff every day with clients that you forget that this client hasn't looked at that piece of paper for a year. So it's your job to go right. back over it with them. Just make sure that you do those things. And then, like I said, if they come to you with a complaint, understand that it is most likely not your fault, but Mm -hmm. if it is, you need to take ownership for it. You need to make it right. And that doesn't mean that you have to make it right on for every single one of their complaints. They may have 10 complaints and one of them is legit and the other nine are not. Um, And so you just have to be able to back that up with your contract and, 
and be firm and confident because what you don't want is a reputation where people then go, oh, you can book them and you are going to pay the money. But then right after the wedding, just go complain about a bunch of stuff and they'll give you your money back. You don't want Mm -hmm. that reputation. And also you need to have enough um, respect for yourself and your business to know that if you delivered what you said you would deliver, if you held up your end of the bargain, then they have to hold up to their end of the bargain too. If you said you would do this in exchange for this money and you did those things, then you are owed that money. And don't let them try to tell you differently. I've uh, heard the phrase, I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like um, that expectations are just resentments in progress or something like that. Um, And your contract, from what you've said, is really the way you get to manage expectations. It's like a relational document where you get to say, this is what... I will do, and this is what you will do. And as long as you did everything that you said that you would do, then you're in the clear. Right. Um, And that's really your chance, right, to handle those expectations is in the contract. Absolutely. And that's another reason why why I always meet my clients in person. If I can't meet them physically in person, I'm going to meet them via Skype, via Zoom, via Google Hangout, FaceTime. We need to see each other because if we see each other, we have a more personal relationship. Even though it's a business relationship, we are humanizing that relationship. Everything that's done via email, it's a lot easier to complain to someone over email than it is face-to-face. And so you just need to build that relationship so that not everyone, if you send an email with this huge list of here's all the things we don't do, they may not read it, but if you speak to them directly about that, they're going to more than likely hear you. And so I just think all of those things play a, a role in, in that. The days between Christmas and New Year's should be fun, right? For years, I wanted to love them, but instead I felt over-sugared, claustrophobic, and just blah. That's no way to head into a brand new year. My therapist once told me, I'm not just an entrepreneur in business, I'm an entrepreneur at life. It's just in my nature to innovate and improve. Eventually, I decided enough is enough. I can't just let the year fizzle out with this feeling of what's next. That's when I created my very own process for reflecting on my year and gearing up for the one ahead. The years I've been using this system have produced so much growth and clarity. I can't imagine where I'd be today without it. I'm about to share this system with you for free in my Finish Strong Challenge. If you want to ditch the resolutions and have your best year yet, go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash finish strong to sign up. That's ZimmermanPodcast.com slash finish strong. Next question. I promise I am not making up that this was from someone else <laughs> because you've talked about this recently, but how do you motivate yourself to get admin work done when you really don't feel like doing it? You are an employee of your business. That's what it boils down to. And it is about commitment, not about motivation. And you have to remember that you are an employee of your own business. And would you accept your work ethic 
with an employee. So if I wake up one day and I go, man, I just really do not want to do payroll. Like I do not want to do it. It is my least favorite thing to do. And then I think, what if someone else was in charge of payroll and they didn't do it? Would I keep them? Would I fire them? Would I give them a raise? And I don't ever want to work with a work ethic of an employee who I would fire. Mm. And so that really is it. I remember that that is the most important thing is that I've committed to this work. I have made a commitment to this job and I have to do it. And just as if someone, I was paying someone else to do it, whether you're paying yourself right now or not, you are an employee of your business and you have to, you want to be winning employee of the month every month. You don't want to be on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. That I, I don't know that I've ever heard you say that before, um, that you're an, an employee of your own business. And I've heard you say a lot of things. <laughs> so that's new for me. I like that. You are. And I think that I think you also need to be a bit in tune with yourself and I'm going to go on this in this direction and people stay with me, but you need to pay attention to when is it that you get so exhausted or what are the tasks that you dread doing? You know what I mean? That you wake up and you go, "Ugh, I do not want to do that. So then you don't do it. And then you go, I'm just not motivated. Why? Like, let's, let's actually dive into that question. Why? Well, I'm not motivated to do accounting because it is monotonous and it takes a lot of time and time at the computer. And that isn't me. I'm better at doing these other things. So, okay. One of two things, can we hire that out to someone else? Can we get that off of our plate? I don't think people, I I can preach about it all day. I don't think people grasp that you do not, that doesn't mean you're paying someone $60,000. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sometimes taking something off your plate could be as little as a hundred bucks, you know what I mean? Or 50 bucks or something. Um, probably not with accounting, but some of the things that you could take off your plate. So really identify, because if you got to wake up every day and do the thing you loved, like I hear a lot from floral designers, I hate the sales. I hate writing the quotes. I hate the emailing back and forth. I hate going over the budget, but I love doing the flowers. Okay, well, then we need to probably analyze that a bit because honestly, only about 10% of being a wedding floral designer is doing flowers. There is 90% of it is the other work. And so do you really want to have a job where you're only able to do the thing you love 10% of the time? No, you're never going to be motivated to work ever. So we either need to pivot our business into something that is more floral heavy and less sales related, meaning we talked about this earlier. Maybe you just do workshops. Maybe you have like a floral cart that you have downtown or something that's outside that you only do on Tuesdays and Thursdays or something at a, at a farmer's market. I don't know. Um, maybe you hire someone to do your sales, who's really good at sales and you pay them a commission because if you pay commission, then you're not out that strain of a, of a salary 
position, you're not going to pay that person until that money actually comes into your account. That's how I pay a second designer. That's how I pay people who work on my education programs, who help behind the scenes with the support and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. They get paid commissions. And so I know that they're going to get paid because they don't get paid until the money comes in. And so that's an, you know, you could pay, you could hire someone to do a sales the sales for you. Um, but you really need to look at that because I find if you, people who just want to do the flowers, if they could wake up every day and just play with flowers, they would always be motivated, you know? And so you really do have to look at that. Not saying that work is always, I mean, it's called work for a reason, but you shouldn't be unmotivated for, you know, more than a couple of days. And to be honest, I think sometimes people don't, really look at the whole picture. You've got to be in tune with yourself. If you're not motivated to do something, there might be a reason why, like you may need to, there might be things going on in your life that are causing you to not be motivated there. You might need to see a therapist. You might need to, and by the way, I'm a big advocate for therapy. I go every week and it helps me so much. And also and this is something I've learned recently, but your time of the month as a woman, um, in August, I met with a doctor and I'd been on birth control for 19 years and she encouraged me. She didn't encourage me to go off of it, but she was educating me on what birth control was doing to my body and how there's 28 days in my cycle and how there are four seasons and winter, spring, summer, fall, and how, you know, winter is obviously when you're bleeding and that's when, um, you want to be closed off. You want to be to yourself. You want to be, you want to rest. You don't really want to be around people. Spring, you have more energy. You're more productive. You're excited. Summer, you're harvesting. You're more about, um, you're your more extroverted self. You can grind and uh, and work really hard during summer. And then fall is when you are more into uh, analytical stuff. That's a great time for you to look at your numbers, for you to do things that are more, you know, studying data or, or computer work, emails, those kinds of things. You don't necessarily want to be around people, but you're not in that winter stage where you kind of don't want to do anything. And when she said that to me, I went, are you, are you kidding me? Like what? I had no idea. And she said, you have been in an eternal autumn for 19 years. And I was like, what? And I thought, well, my goodness, like, I want to know what it's like to be in spring and summer. Like if, if this right. is me in autumn, like what, what could I accomplish in spring and summer? And, um, and then, then I had a big meeting with my whole team about it. I was like, All <laughs> you, we need to, we need, in order to be so productive, like we need to sync our schedules to our cycles. And um, it's a, it's a little crazy over here, but that means like, I am going to record podcasts during spring and summer because that's when I'm more extroverted. It would be really dumb of me to take on a speaking engagement during winter. And not that you haven't done it, right? Right. <laughs> but it's not always the best. Right. Exactly. I'm just, and so I think you also have to look at that and go, why am I not motivated? Like, is it because, because honestly, for me, I was starting to get unmotivated back in August yeah. with my business. I was like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And 
didn't know what my next direction was, didn't know. And so for me, I started trying to find answers. And that was one of the things. And once I got off birth control, by the way, I'm not here advocating for people to go off birth control. I'm just sharing with you what my story was. And it's definitely a privilege to be able to not be on yes. birth control. That Not everyone can do that. And But one, if you can. 100%. But I personally went off it and saw a big difference and was motivated again. But at the end of the day, no matter what, no matter what, no matter if I, but the thing about, I will, I will, I do want to go back to this for one second. The thing about the freedom in knowing that it allows me to not beat myself up in winter, knowing that I don't really want to do a lot of work or Mm -hmm. it allows me to maybe know to put a little more on my plate during summer. And it just allows me to work better because I know how my hormones are and it allows me to work more efficiently and more productively. And I think creating systems is a huge thing just to, you know, get off a menstrual cycle. Um, But I think a system is a huge thing. If things are taking too long, you need to take two days out, block it off and, and create a system. And I will just say, even for me, yesterday, I had a day where I was, I mean, Rachel knows, I called her, but I was like, (laughs) I am feeling like there's parts of the business that aren't working, that I don't really know what to do with. And so what I did was this Monday, I cleared my calendar, blocked off the whole day to sit and work on it. Am I excited about that? No, not really. Like that's not going to be that much fun, but I know that taking the time to get the numbers that I need and to analyze the data are going to give me the answers I need. There is a an energy and a fuel that comes with knowing the answers. And so I think sometimes the reason why people are unmotivated is because maybe their business isn't doing well and they're like I don't want to write a blog post because my business isn't doing well. I mean, what do I have to write about? And it's like, no, that's part of your job. You know what I mean? Like you've got to be committed to the work no matter what, just like you are committed to feeding your child, to dressing your child, to, um, you know, same thing, anything that's worth doing comes with commitment. Relationships are commitment. Um, fitness is commitment. Good health is commitment. Work is commitment. And do you want to be fired or do you want to get employee of the month? Yeah. And kind of like we were talking about earlier, it, it kind of comes down to like expectations. And I think that sometimes people want to own their own businesses so that they can do whatever they want when they want and not really have to work hard. And as you and I both know that's just not how it works. Like you still have to work incredibly hard. It's just that work that you get to choose. And so when you're owning your own, your own business, you, you, you are going to still have to work and there are going to be days when you have to do stuff that you don't feel motivated to do, but at least you're the one who's getting to choose what that is. And what I mean about a system is if you will take the things that you don't like doing, like don't do them all on the same day. Take one of those tasks and make it be the first thing that you do when you start work. So I start work at 9 a.m. And so the 
the most dreaded thing is going to be at 9 a.m. so that I can get it's not on my mind the rest of the day so that I can get it done, get it over with, and then go on to the things I enjoy doing. Sometimes you just have to just do it. Just do it. Like quit thinking about it and just do it. Get it over with. Get it done. So uh, this is a follow-up question. This is from me. This is not a listener question, Uh, but it kind of relates. Let's say that you wake up one day and you're just really in a funk. Like you're just having one of those days, maybe like yesterday, where you just either personally or professionally or both or physically or mentally or spiritually, you just feel a little off. What do you do that day? Talk me through what do you do to kind of get out of that funk? Yeah, that totally happened to me yesterday. And I think for me, I'm a verbal processor and I know that about myself. And so I called three members on my team (laughs) and had (laughs) conversations with them just about, here's what's working. Here's what I think slipping through the cracks. I'm not real sure what to do about this. What do you think? You know, just to kind of verbally process it. And I know for me, that helps just to get it out, to let my, a few members of my team know, like, where my headspace is at. And then also, so also yesterday after I got off the phone with you, I ran three miles because I was just like, I know. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I didn't do that. (laughs) I just know that um, that helps. Like that helps me to not feel the stress and to calm down a little bit. And also- you get it out of your body. Yeah, like out of you my body. To, yeah. And also for me, it's very important. Like the, I have learned this year that the number one most important thing for me to do is to take care of me and my health. Like I cannot do for anyone or be for anybody or serve my audience or my family or my friends or my parents, anybody, my team, if I am not at my best. So I know that I'm no good for anyone else if I'm not good myself. And so for me, every morning that is a devotional and that is meditation. And the past, I've been really, really committed to that. Once again, committed because it's not always the first thing that I want to do by any stretch of the imagination, but really committed to that. And we were on vacation for two weeks and that kind of wasn't the main priority. It's hard for me to, to stay committed to things on vacation. I kind of take a vacation from everything, which isn't always good, Mm -hmm. but I knew that I needed that time that I needed to just sit down and meditate. And what I mean by meditation, because that word used to throw me a little bit. Like I was like, what does that mean? Like, is there a bowl involved that you bang? Like, what do you do? Like, I hate sitting still. Like, what is I know you're like, what do you mean do nothing? Right. <laughs> but for me, this really made a lot of sense to me when my nutritionist described it um, to me as passive prayer, meaning that Whatever is guiding you, that voice inside of you, um, I I call that God. For me, I actively pray, right? Which which is when you're thanking and you're asking and you're you know all these things, and you're the one doing all the talking. 
And it made so much sense to me that really what meditation is, it's, it's the listening. It's the listening. And I thought, oh my gosh, like who wants to be in a relationship with someone who does all the talking and never listens? Mm-hmm. And I honestly thought when I first started meditation, which is honestly, it's the simplest thing. It's me sitting on the floor Indian style with my palms up on my knees and my back against the wall. And it's just breathing in for 10 counts, breathing out for 10 counts and just doing that at first, just to kind of, I'll do like almost like a body scan where as I breathe in, I kind of like go from my toes all the way up to my forehead. And then when I breathe Mm -hmm. out, I go from my forehead all the way to my toes. Like I just kind of envision the breath going from my forehead to my nose, to my mouth, to my chin, to my neck, like I, as I, as I count, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And it can be as simple as that. And I think at first I thought, I'm going to hear this answer. Like I'm going to hear this voice inside me say, this is your next step. And that's not what it is right. for me whatsoever. It is simply being committed to being still and quiet for a few minutes a day and what that has done for me has allowed me the things that I used to worry about, I no longer even worry about. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I even like need this answer because I no longer have the question. Does that make sense? It's such an amazing reminder that you have inherent value, even if you're not doing anything, even if you're just sitting there and breathing, like you don't, you don't have to constantly be pushing forward or checking things off your list to be valuable and loved and cared for. Yes. And it's such a hard thing to do, especially for entrepreneurs. And because a lot of entrepreneurs are go-getters and, and I know we have a lot of listeners on here that are moms and they, they work outside the home as well and take their careers very seriously and, and life is full. But for me, I have made a commitment to myself that I'm not going to start my work day until I get at least five minutes of quiet in where I just sit down and I breathe in and out for five minutes. I set a timer. Some, some mornings I set a timer. Some mornings I just don't and let myself just be. Um, but by giving myself that time, I have just found a huge difference in it. And so I think whatever it is that you need to do, I'm not saying that you have to do any of that. I'm just saying you need to know what it is that makes your, that turns, that turns the beat around is what we like to say in the room at home. Right. We, we, we sit with the kids. I'll be like, okay, how are we going to turn the beat around? Um, but maybe it's going outside and going for a walk. Maybe you need to feel the sunshine on your face. Maybe you've eaten nothing but junk and you need to go get a green smoothie because your body is craving vegetables. Maybe it's as simple as drinking mm-hmm. a glass of water. A lot of times a deep breath is, is the best thing that you can do. So just know, like for me, I know I need to verbally process. I need to do a little bit of exercise, get out in the sunshine and, and meditate. And so I did all those things yesterday and it helped reset. And honestly, after I was done with that, it was, cause again, I can continue my day and just kind of wallow and really not get anything done, or I can push pause on the day and go reset. And then when I came back, I was able to make those decisions of, okay, on Monday, I'm going to clear my calendar and and get a plan. I'm not going to sit. One thing about me, I'm not going to sit and wonder long. I don't wonder 
for very long. I, I mm-hmm. try to find the answers. Yeah. And I, I think I can get really in my head and I think a lot of creatives can and think about, you know, why am I feeling this way and, and what, what's happening. And, um, a lot of times when I'm in a funk like that, I realize halfway through trying to figure out like these deep meditative things about why I'm in this funk. I realized like, have I brushed my teeth today? Have I taken a shower recently? Have I eaten anything? And as a mom of young kids, like usually the answer is no across the board. So of course I don't feel good because I haven't done anything to be a real person that day. Right. Um, And I think a lot of times it's that simple. I mean, I've even noticed lately you've been outside and you've like gotten up and gotten dressed and like, because as a stay-at-home mom or <laughs> as a stay-at-home yeah. mom or as somebody who works from home, it is so easy to just freaking stay in pajamas or to wear sweatpants or to wear, you know, athleisure layer, athleisure wear yes. when you're not athletic, or, you know, or you have no yeah. intentions of doing any athletic activity. And yes. there's something about just getting dressed and feeling like a human being that is really important. And we take that for, you know, we, we forget about that sometimes when we're taking care of everybody but ourselves, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I have a almost three-year-old. She'll be three, two days before Christmas, super high energy. And then I have a almost eight month old. Um, and right after my son was born, my younger of the two, I felt great. Like I felt glowy. Um, I don't know what, I mean, I was working for you and I had just had this baby who's the sweetest boy in the entire universe. And so I was just feeling really great. Um, and then I don't know if it's a combination of hormones or time of year or circumstances, but I just was in kind of a uh, extended funk, um, and was realizing like, I'm either something's wrong hormonally or I'm depressed or both. Um, but I was stuck in a cycle of like analyzing why I was feeling that way instead of really doing anything about it. And so you and I were talking on the phone one day and you were like, you just need to make a doctor's appointment. Like you just need to find out what you should be doing. Like what's up? So I did, we talked on Friday on Monday, I had an appointment because it turns out when you call your doctor and you say, I think I'm depressed and I have blood work done, they get you in pretty quickly. So then I had that appointment and, um, the, my doctor agreed that, um, I'm probably experiencing some depression and so offered me uh, medication, which I filled, but then just waited to think if that's really what I want to be doing. So I have the medication filled, but in the meantime, I started meeting with my therapist again, which the doctor also recommended. Um, Started meeting with my therapist again. Um, My husband and I both started meeting with a therapist um, and then myself individually and him individually and, um, I've been taking my kids out on hikes. I made a goal. I'm not going to say what the goal is in case I don't meet it because I'm a wimp, but of going on a certain amount of hikes with my kids this year, because we literally live in a state park. Um, so I got a parking pass and we've been going outside and I've been trying to, yeah, get dressed more, but it is really hard when you have young kids and you're working either out of the home or in home or not working at all. Like this season of parenthood is just really tough when you have young kids and you're also supposed to be a human um, because you're living 
with like tiny narcissists all the time. It's all about them. <laughs> that would be yeah. hard for anyone. 100%. Yeah. And I loved that we were able to have that conversation. And thank you for sharing that. I think that what it all boils down to is life is, it's really a privilege and an honor to get to live life. And we are going to go through pain. We are going to have happy times, but we can't even know what happiness is if we don't experience hard times. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those hard times don't come in the form of, you know, a broken leg. Sometimes they come in the form of being down and for, and there's nothing to be ashamed about that. Like I go to therapy every week because I know it's good for me. I know that I need to verbally process that I need to get it out. And sometimes our therapy sessions are honestly as simple as me just talking to him about my business, but I've gotten that out and that's been great. And it's not always this like massive, you know, Brian and I are on the brink of breaking up. It's not that kind of stuff or it's, it's sometimes just as simple as talking about business. And for you, I just was like, you know, just go talk to somebody, get your, get your blood work checked out because it could possibly be just a hormone thing. I mean, you did just have two kids like, and that is nothing to be ashamed of. And if you have to go on something for a couple of months to work it back out, there's no shame in that. And you just have to know yourself and you have to, but I also love, and if you know me and you'll know this a lot after sleeping with a stranger comes out, I'm not, a big medicine person. I think if you need it, by all means, take it. But I also think that, you know, if you have high blood pressure and high cholesterol, like maybe you change your diet, you know, instead of just taking high blood pressure medicine every day for the rest of your life. Right. Um, it's usually and, a combination of like, yes. what lifestyle things can I be more in tune with? And then, yes. yeah. So just really saying, if there was no one dependent on me, like, what would I do? What would fill me up? What would make me happy? Yeah. And not even necessarily what you want, but what do you need? Like, your body needs certain foods. It needs to be active. It needs sunshine. Yeah. And so, you know, to, to keep that in mind. And I think that, you know, we are not supposed to live life every day unmotivated. Like, that's not how we're supposed to feel. And so you've got to you've got to be proactive in that. And you have to also give yourself some grace. I have to do this when, when I'm exhausted and I just don't feel like working. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that's okay. Like, like it's if okay you don't work today, this day, life will go on. Life will go on. Yeah. I've got all next week. And so it's like, yeah, it's okay to take a day if I need it and not beat myself up about it. And I think some people, Brian has a real hard time with that a few weeks ago he hadn't seen any of the season of this is us this uh year and i was like ooh i haven't either let's binge watch it and the kids were at school and we never did i mean never do this but we watched like two episodes in a row and he goes okay i, I i've got to go do something i was like why and he said i just feel guilty like i feel guilty and i was like Brian i don't think you've ever during the day watched television ever in the 19 years I've known you. Yeah. <laughs> like ever. Like don't feel guilty. You can take a day 
to, to just relax for a second. It's okay. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. Just know thyself is really what it comes down to. Know thyself and take care of, take care of yourself. And one thing I've been trying to remind myself is because I'm such a feeler thinker, um, I'm a four with a five wing on the Enneagram, if anyone knows or cares about that. But I get into these like cycles of feeling and thinking. And it's so freeing to know that if you are having a day where you're in a funk, like that's valid in and of itself. You don't have to explain it with, I'm feeling off because this thing happened or, you know, like you can just have an off day and it be an off day and that's okay. You don't have to, you know, have a reason for why you're feeling angry or upset or frustrated. You can just feel those things. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there, it's a new day tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Totally switching gears. <laughs> we are recording this the week after frozen two came out, which for two women with five kids between us is a big freaking deal. <laughs> I've seen it three times. In the I theater. hadn't seen it because my husband is taking our daughter with her best friend and her best friend's dad this weekend. And I was like, what's the point of even having two kids if you can't go see frozen two? So my husband bought me a ticket and I went (laughs) by myself to see it at like 930 the other night. Um, I loved it. I'm obsessed. Um, So tell me about your favorite new song. I know you have a specific favorite new song from the Frozen 2 soundtrack and why you love it so much. So I love uh, Lost in the Woods. Yes. And I like it because it's like a early 90s throwback. It sounds like Chicago. It sounds like Queen. It just has this, you know, guitar solo that sounds so 90s. I just I totally I really got like that. total eclipse of the heart vibes for a little bit mm-hmm. in there. It's good. But we have been listening to the soundtrack in the car. The kids love it. And the on Spotify, we have the there's the uncut version. Yes. So there's songs that didn't make the movie, but they actually recorded. And there's this one song, it's called Get It Right. And it's with Christoph and Anna. And it is hilarious. Like if you listen to it as an adult, it kind of cracks you up and you're like, okay, I can kind of see why they didn't put this in the kids Disney movie. Yeah. Um, There's this one line where it says, I want to thrill you in the way you deserve. And sings that line at the top of her line. She's like, I want to thrill you in the way you deserve. And she loves it. And I, and Brian and I just laugh so hard. Cause we're like, she has no idea like what they're talking about. Um, but <laughs> it, 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 it's such a good, yeah, it's, it's a really good movie. Okay. We're going to round it out with a fun question. Like we always do. Not that that wasn't a fun question, but um, if you had a never skip song on your iPod in college, did you have an iPod in college? I don't know. I think so. I think they I existed. Like yeah, the probably. fat ones, like the very, yes. yeah. Um, if you had a never skip song on your iPod in college, all seven years that you were there, what would it have been? So the song that comes on, it might not be your favorite song, but anytime it came on, you were going to stick it out. Like you were not going to skip that song. Oh gosh. In college, we listened to a lot of Nelly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh-huh. A lot of Nelly. Uh, anytime Nelly comes like on. Like Hot in Here? Hot in Here. Oh my gosh. Air Force One. Um, yeah. Those those are the songs. Well, all I have I'm to say, not, Jess, you're going to have to... Not that that was like my favorite song by any means, but it yeah. was what was playing at all the parties yeah. and... 
you know, so that's just, we knew all the words. Yeah. We had a dance to Air Force One. I mean, good times, good times. But my favorite song, if you want to know that. Yeah. Is Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, which is from the soundtrack of The Mannequin Mm. from like the 80s. And that song also sometimes reminds me of college because my girlfriends and I sang it at a wedding and it was really fun. Um, and so I love that one. Like if I, if I have to do karaoke, that's my song of choice. Well, there you go. Maybe that should be how I'll phrase the question next time is what's your ultimate karaoke song. That's a good one. Mm, nice. Well, Jess, that that's all the questions for today. You did great. Um, I can never throw you, not that I'm trying to, but you don't see these questions ahead of time and you always have such thoughtful answers. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, if you have questions, if you heard Jen's questions or Paige, Paige's question and you thought, oh my goodness, I want my question to be on Zimmerman Podcast, then just go to ZimmermanPodcast.com slash ask. ZimmermanPodcast.com slash ASK and enter in your question and it can be selected to be a question that Jess answers on this or a future segment of questions with Rachel. Yeah. And that goes directly to Rachel's email account. The answer does. So I never see it. So there you go. Yes. Thanks guys for joining us. Thanks Rachel for the questions. Those were, those were fun. Thank you. If you loved what you heard today, even if you liked it a lot, you should subscribe and leave a review. We'll see you back here next time in the Zimmerman Podcast.